here I am. So the movie The Blind Side, real-life movie about Michael O'Hare. He was a really big kid who grew up on the streets of Memphis. Now, he had low self-esteem, didn't think much of himself, but uh, by God's grace, he was adopted by a wonderful couple, specifically um, a mom in the movie played by Sandra Bullock, who saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. So if you've seen the movie, you know the story, but if you haven't, I'll give you the short version. Um, he signed up for high school football. And his high school football coach didn't see much use for him because he was this really big kid that maybe had a lot of potential, but he was really, really nice. And when you're on the line playing football, that's not the time to be nice. People are trying to hit you. They're trying to hit your quarterback. If you're, if you're too nice, you don't have what it takes to go hit the guy in front of you. So his coach said he was too nice. He was too passive. He didn't want to use his strength to hurt the other players or go at him. So his coach didn't really have much use for him. But then Mama Bear stepped in. And Mama Bear saw that he had a really big potential that was untapped into, and she talked to him, and she talked to the coach about putting him on the blind side of the quarterback. Let him be where the quarterback can't see. And what happened is he started to flourish, and he found his niche in football. And this didn't just flourish into a great high school career. It transferred into an amazing career in the NFL. It's a really, really cool story, but the question is, you know, like, what would have happened if his adopted mom didn't see him for who he was? What, what would have happened if, if someone didn't see that potential in him and say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I'm going to, I really want to push you and challenge you to grow in this area and really see who he was, even though he couldn't see it in himself. He probably would have ended up listening to his coach and thought that he was a very terrible football player, didn't really have much to offer, and it could have ended right there. Imagine how that story would have gone if he never really figured out what his identity was and didn't have someone helping point him and show him who he could be. Now, reality is we can all have kind of a similar story in our lives, can't we? It, we, we can all have someone in our lives maybe who can, uh, it can maybe that, that teacher or that coach or someone to, to pinpoint an identity on you that maybe isn't really you. you know, maybe you've had someone speaking in your life who said, this is who you are, but, but deep down, that's not who you are. They're, they're missing the point. They're missing who you really were meant to be. And then maybe some of you, like this player, had that other person that came in and said, but you are meant for so much more. There's so much more about you that you haven't even figured out for yourself yet. I can see something in you, and I want to help you discover who you really are. Now, maybe some of you even right now um, feel you can, you can feel your heart racing right now because maybe you even know, maybe you haven't had that person yet. Maybe you have someone to say, this is what I see in you, and this is how I want to push you forward, and I can help you find something in you that maybe you don't see. Maybe you know you were meant for more, but when you look in the mirror, maybe you just don't see it. Maybe even right now, maybe you feel like you used to see it, but right now you're just kind of, ah, it's just the image looking back at you is not what you want to see. There's a voice in your head telling you, you're not good enough. A voice in your head telling you, that can't be you. Maybe a voice telling you, who are you to even try and dream that big? Who are you to even think about being bigger than what you are? But what if I told you guys, you were destined for more? Even at your pinnacle, God has something even bigger and better for you. What if I told you you were fashioned for greatness and you were created for a higher purpose? And I think that's, I know that's the question we're going to talk about today. We're going to ask, last week we asked why am I, or two weeks ago, sorry, we asked why am I here. This week we're going to ask, who am I? Who am I? What if we lived knowing we were made for more than we ever thought we were? That question sit for you for a second. What if we lived knowing we were made for more than you ever thought you were? What would that change? How would that change how you walked about life? How would that change how you went through your dynamic, your conversations with people, the way you went to work? What would it change in you? One of the oldest questions of all mankind is that, who am I? 
the core of every, every philosophy, the core of almost every religion, will ask that question, who are you? It's a relentless question that people process for a lot of their lives. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Genesis 1.26, because I think this, this passage here, it's going to talk about God creating man, and there's so much we can learn from who we are just from the first part of our creation. So Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. Now, there, there's three words in this passage, and there's so much we can pull from this, but the three words that I want to focus on are bold and underlined up there. We're going to focus on the word us, image, and dominion. I think these, these three words are really going to break down and help us answer this question when you think, who am I? These three words have so much to play in it, and um, we're going to be flipping through scriptures, so get your, your Bible flipping fingers ready. I shouldn't say flipping fingers. That almost sounds bad. Get your Bible-turning hands ready to go. That's, that sounds much better. So we'll go there. Bible-turning hands. But us, Genesis 1.26, this is, this is a curious passage, the, the way it starts out, right? Because the very first time we see God here, it says, let us. The God of the Bible from the very beginning doesn't say, I am going to do this. He says, let us. Why would he say, let us? I, I, I love that the first time we, we see God creating things, he's describing himself as a community. He's describing himself not just as one individual, but he's saying this is us. This is, this is something more than just one being. This is a community. And a couple weeks ago, we, we kind of unpacked that a little bit. We talked about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how they all had a hand in our creation. He says, let us create man in our image. God is more about we, not me. And I love this. Theologians, we, we, the theologians called this the Trinity, and it's, it's honestly not a really easy thing to try and unpack when you talk about one God being in three parts, because some people say, well, doesn't that mean three gods? You go, no, one God, but, but three pieces of one God. It, it can get confusing, but, but I know that when we, when we try our best to understand that we have one single God who works in three different persons, it really helps us understand that we were not meant to be alone. We were not meant to be just a me in this world. God created us as a we. He is a we, and he wants us to be a part of this we mentality. God speaks of himself as us. Now, the reason I want us to focus on this is because I think when God says us, it shows us that he has a very communal nature right from the beginning, and it relates to us, our creation, and our beginnings. Now, if you're new to church, or maybe perhaps it's been a long time since you've been to church, or you're online for the first time, or you're online for the 100th time, I think that uh, as we unpack this, it, I think we can, we can do this in a way that will make it not so hard to understand. So when we talk about the Trinity, it doesn't feel like, oh, that's just an insider concept for the church. If you've been going, then, then you know the Trinity. I think this is something we're all going to be growing in for a long time, trying to unpack and understand the nature of the Trinity of God. But we can understand, I think, the breakdown and importance of community. Now, there was a book called Bowling Alone. And this book examined the reasons and consequences of the breakdown of community in America why people need it, why people strive towards it, what happens if you were removed from community. And it's a fascinating book. But it talks about how why so many people are returning to a young form of tribalism, like they are so desperate to be involved in a group of people that sometimes they're going to the wrong groups. But there's just this, this desire to be involved in something that is more of a we and not just a me. I, this, this book talks about how we actually need to. There, there's an innate desire in human nature to be a part of something bigger than just yourself. 
to be a part of something more, to be a part of a group or a community. So many people go on soul-searching journeys to find out who they are, where they belong, why they belong, and we all resonate with different groups, right? For some people growing up, maybe for you, like, like me, a lot of it was sports. Maybe when you were looking for a who am I in this world, you, you resonated with a sports group, and that became your identity. Or maybe it was a different club in school. Maybe it was a debate team, or maybe it was something artistic. Maybe you're a musician, and that became a lot of your identity, connecting with and playing with and, and having fun with musicians. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of variety of things that people can latch on to, right? I know that um, a lot of our, our young culture today is video games. They get connected with and find community in video games. My brother met his wife playing a video game. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that. He was playing a Final Fantasy video game online, and he met this girl. And when he told me for the first time, I met a girl and she's my girlfriend. Have you met her face-to-face -face yet? Nope. It's like, what? I didn't get this. Then he flew, actually, she's from up here in, in Seattle area. So he flew up here to meet her. And I remember thinking, this is the most bizarre thing in the world. And then their dating became serious. And then she flew down to meet the family. And I love her. She is so fun. And now they're married. And I never would have thought that his community would have turned into his, his, like his real family. And he found his wife playing a game. But our communities and who we identify with has so much to do with the direction that we take our lives and where we go. There's a variety of things people latch on to because once you find it, it opens your eyes to a whole new horizon. It opens your eyes not just to another hobby, but to a group where we're all longing for something big. We're longing for acceptance. I think acceptance is a natural, natural desire, right? You, you don't necessarily want to go to a group only to be on the outside and watch everybody else participate, right? You, you, when, you, when you find a group or a community, you long to be a part of the conversation. You want to be involved in it, uh, integrated with what they're doing. You've joined something to find commonality. You join something to find partnership, community, and acceptance. You don't join a group for the purpose of getting rejected from the group. That would be, um, you, you need to see somebody and talk about that if that's your goal, to get kicked out of the group. But I love that our desire for acceptance, our desire for this community, this actually started with God. This started with God. God himself is community. God is community. And he made us to be communal. God's community, he made us to be communal. We're not merely made to be just by ourselves. We are not merely social, craving community. We are actually, we are actualized in community. We were created in a community with God. So by nature, by humans' very nature, what we see in Genesis is that we are more of a we people than we are a me people. By creation, we are more of a we people than we are a me people. Now, particularly in the Western world, if you look at society, what, what does society drive for you to do? Excel in the me, right? A lot of things that we see on TV are all about what can you do to get ahead? What can you do to get better? Even if you ask someone to introduce themselves, if someone says, hey, tell me about yourself, there's a lot of things that we identify with. Like if someone were to say, you know, tell me about yourself, I would say, you know, hey, my name is Dustin. I'm the lead pastor at Celebration Church, best church in the world. I like snowboarding. I like video games. I like board games. I love people. I love going out and hanging out with people. That's one of my favorite things to do during the week. Um, I love my family. I don't like mayonnaise. I won't do it. Yeah, I know it's weird, but it's, it's my weirdism, and I embrace it. I have a wife. I have two kids. Um, I have the world's friendliest dog, where if someone kicks in my front door, she'll be the first thing there with a bone in her mouth saying, play, play, play. You're going to play too? But I have all these things at home, and I love this. But notice how each one of those statements starts, right? It's I. 
Every sentence begins with, with I. And God created us in and for community. So on our identity, not just our preference, this is communal. So who am I? I could say, well, I'm a son and a father. I'm a husband and a friend. I'm a partner and a teammate. Because I think in my relationships, that's where I find my real identity. If I isolate myself, if I'm just by myself, that's where I can start to lose who I really am because God didn't create me to be by myself. He created me to be a part of all these people around me. I think this is why so many people who run away to find themselves get lost in the process. Because what they do is they, instead of saying, I'm going to find myself with Jesus, I'm going to find myself with, with a community of people who are going to point me to God, they can isolate themselves from that. And as soon as you isolate yourselves from a community away from God, you're going to find a community that's of the world and in the world. And it's going to tell you you are something that you really are not. But when we keep God the focus, when we focus on him, we don't feel those isolations. We don't feel that aloneness. It, it's so common. So common in, in the celebrity world. We, we see celebrities, right? They're, they're on stage, they're singing, and they're, they're living the life. I remember um, at some point, at some, my, my daughter, Aurora, she would say she wanted to be a rock star. At her preschool graduation, they asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. She said, I want to be a teenager. I was like, oh, no. That's rough. But there was a point where she said, I want to be a rock star. And she would see concerts of people, and she would watch YouTube videos of singers going. I remember for a while, it was Jojo Siwa. That was her little teen singer idol. And she would say, I want to be like that. But what's crazy is how many times do we, in our life, hear about rock stars or movie stars or people that seem to have it all. All of a sudden, it comes out that they feel lonely and isolated, and they're really lacking something big. Beyonce, the queen bee, she said this when Destiny's Child broke up. She said this in a, in a news in an interview. She said, when Destiny's child broke up, I stayed in my room. I was in a really bad place in life, going through that lonely period. Who am I? Who are my friends? My life changed. She said when she was broken up from her immediate community, she felt like she was nothing. Lady Gaga, known for crazy music performance and outfits, she quickly rose to fame, went to the top of the billboard charts, and she's still doing tons of music, got millions of fans. She shared this with a friend in an interview that's actually you can find on YouTube. She says, I'm alone, Brandon, every night, and all these people will leave, right? They will leave, and then I'll be all alone. I will go from everyone touching me all day and talking at me all day to total silence. And in the interview, she's actually in tears when she's saying this. She was talking about, the more you listen to it, she talks about how the fame and the fortune is one thing, but then when she goes home, she's alone, and it's heartbreaking because she doesn't have a community. These are just a couple people that seem to have it all, but, but they were lacking such a deep, rich, and fulfilling community, missing the point that God didn't create them to be an island on their own. He created them to be a part of something so much more. He created us to be a part of something so much more. When we say, who am I, know that you are meant to be part of a community, part of something so much more, bigger than we can realize. There's ways that we can practice this, this us there's ways we can practice this us. One of them is uh, I talk about it often because I'm passionate about it and I love it. One of the ways we can practice us here practically is with small groups. Some of you may wonder, why, why does he always talk about small groups? He always brings up small groups. Well, I think because God made you to find yourself in a group, specifically a group that's pursuing him. God made you to find yourself in a group. I think your best self is you when you are known and growing and pointed towards Jesus. Our desire for you and my desire for you here in this church is to be a part of a group that's going to help you grow, it's going to help you flourish, it's going to help you find that sense of belonging and community and appreciate people around you, appreciate yourself more and what God has given you and how you can share that with other people. 
If you want to grow personally, if you want to grow spiritually, if you really want to take yourself to that level and say, man, God, I feel like you're working in me, you're using me, and you're moving me in a way that I never thought I could do by myself, join a small group. Be a part of a group of people that are, that are getting together and challenging each other and spurring each other on weekly. I love my small group. My small group is a group of men that meets a Friday morning at 6 a.m., bright and early. We give up some of our sleepy sleep, but we get together, and we get to have fun Friday mornings. When, when it started, it was just a few of us, and a few months in, now it's a few people more. We get to come together, and right now we're reading through um, a Bible study in the Bible apps called 52 Men of the Bible. So every week we go through a different man in the Bible, and we talk about what are they doing in life? What are they, what, how did God use them? And it's not all good men that we read about in the Bible. We read, we read about some people who were just turds, honestly. They, they, just, they, were, they, were, they messed up. But we read about their life. What happened in our life? What are lessons that we can learn from this man in the Bible? And it's a fun time we get to go together. But you know what else happens in this group? We meet together Friday mornings, but we don't just meet together Friday mornings. Throughout the week, something can happen to somebody, and they shoot a text to that group. It's like, hey, something happens. You know, one of the guys shared, my truck got broken into and my tool, tools got stolen. Pray for me. And, and then that group flooded with, hey, do you have, do, is there something I can offer you? Do you have tools you can use? Someone said, I'm sick. How can we pray for you? Someone said, my marriage is hurting. How can we pray for your marriage? It, it turned into a group of people where that's now our prayer group as well throughout the week. It's not just a Friday morning meeting. And I love that when we come together as a small group, and that's just not an example of just my group, lots of other groups do this too. It becomes more than just a weekly meeting. It becomes us practicing that us. When God said, let us create man in our image, we get to practice that us together, and we get to grow. And I love small groups. I love what we get to do with it. There's another group of ladies that meet here. We have a women's Bible study, and I found out a few weeks ago, um, a gal came up to me and said, hey, I want you to know that there's a group of us that meet weekly as well. We just meet, you, you encourage us to meet together, we meet every week. And they talked about how much fun they have together, the love that they get to share, the life they get to share. And they give each other rides to places, and someone gets sick, and they bring them food. And I'm like, this is church. I love it. That is living in that community that God has called us to be so much more a part of. And I want to encourage you guys now, if you're not a part of a small group, we're going to be putting out catalogs again soon for, for the next round of small groups, but join a small group. Practice this, this us that God called us to be a part of. When you say, who am I? Man, God created me to be a part of a group so much bigger than myself. Be a part of that group. I love these things. And on top of small groups, I love that we get to meet here. I love Sunday morning. I love looking out and seeing you all here on Sunday morning. I love being able, um, un, like, unfortunately for me last week when I wasn't able to be here, I was able to interact online with all you people online, and it was fun to be able to, to catch up with some of you that I don't get to see every week and catch up with you online. But when we get to come together as a community on a Sunday morning like this, we get to experience this us that God created us to be. Not alone, not by ourselves. We get to celebrate to, with one another. I tell you, this morning even, I was standing up here, and at one point I stopped singing, and I started listening, and I could hear the voices throughout the room, and my heart just gets full. I'm like, this is people celebrating the goodness of God, and it is so rejuvenating. It really fills me up on a Sunday morning. I know there's, there's a lot of people that will say, you know, on, after Sunday, what do you do? You go home, and I do go home and watch football for the meantime. I've got at least one more week, depending on how the Niners do today. But I go home, and I watch football, but on the flip side, when I leave here, I'm happy and I'm excited and I'm full because of the community I just got to experience. And I know I'm not the only one. I want to issue us a challenge this year. This year for 2022, let's make meeting here on Sundays, let's make it a priority. 
let's, let's come, let's gather, let's celebrate, let's worship. Let's take this time before service. Let's take the time after service to build each other up, share life with someone, go out to lunch after church, you know, just do, do something. Let's build this community up bigger and stronger than ever. Now, I know sometimes, especially right now with the pandemic, if you look around, you'll actually probably notice there's a lot of people that are regulars here, that are here week in and week out, that aren't with us right now today. There's a lot of people sick right now. There are a lot of people that either are sick or have been exposed to COVID. I know for me last week, it was Saturday morning that I found out, hey, you got exposed to COVID last night. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was a major bummer. It, it really, really, part of me was crushed feeling like I can't even be at church tomorrow. We have to go online, given I thought I did my best job online. But it crushed me not being able to come. And I know there are people not here today because they've either, they're sick or they've been exposed and they're at home watching right now. I love that you're watching online and I thank you for joining us. I think that being online is necessary. Our online presence is something that started with COVID. A lot of churches really, really ramped it up during COVID and it was a great way for people during the the shutdown or if they got sick to still join us online. And I want people that that are online at home right now, I respect your decision to stay safe, to make sure you're healthy. I love that and I love that we have the opportunity to reach people online during this time. That's something that's not gonna go away. But my challenge to our online viewers specifically too is this. I just challenged everybody here too. Let's make this the year we're all here. My challenge for online viewers is I want to see you. I don't just want to chat and say hi online. I would love to see your face here. I want to see you come and join us in this place. I get excited with the prospect of meeting new people. I, I get excited about a lot of things, guys. There's a lot of things that just get me going. I'm an optimist. I, I'm like the dog with the head out the window. Where are we going? Where are we going? I just I get real excited, right? But I love meeting new people. I love going out to coffee. I love having people over. I love meeting with people. I want to hear your story. I want to see you. I want to meet you face to face. Hebrews 10.25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love that. It says let us not give up on meeting with each other. Let's make this the year where we decide this is a priority for me. Mask or not, I'm going to go. I'm going to visit. I'm going to do fellowship with people because it's fun and we get to love each other and share life. When we meet physically together, when we practice this we that God is talking to us, there is so much more to be felt, so much more to be gained, so much more to be experienced and encouraged than if, if we're watching from the outside. Fellowship is huge. It's a huge part of what we do. And God created us for this fellowship. Now, show of hands, let me just ask this out. How many of you guys listen to music at home? How many of you listen to it maybe in the car? You listen to it if you have the ability at work, right? Lots of hands, lots of music. We, we love, I love music. We always have music on at home. Um, often we're in different rooms and we're competing for the volume on our Alexa devices, right? Whose music is going to be the one that's heard? Sometimes the girls want to play some Coco Melon song. And we just have to nix the music right there. Like we're not listening to that. But most of us like some form of music. Now, how many of you guys have ever had the opportunity to go see a musician live? Maybe your favorite musician, your, your favorite artist. You, you went to a concert. How much cooler was it when you were at the show? How much cooler was it at the show than, than when you're at home listening on the radio? Now, given we have dance parties and sing parties at home, we do. But when you're there in the show, it is so much different. And our home, Toby Mac, is played all the time. We love Toby Mac. I've been listening to Toby Mac since he was with DC Talk when I was a kid. But we love listening to Toby Mac. And during the Puyallup State Fair, we got to go to a Toby Mac concert. And it was so fun. To say that Aurora and Avery were excited to see him is the biggest understatement of the century. 
They were ecstatic to go see him. During one of his songs, Avery shouted out, it's the real Toby Mac, when he was on stage. She could not believe what she was seeing. And, but she went nuts. Check, check this out. I'll tell you, she doesn't do that nearly as much at home when we're playing Toby Mac. She did it there, and it was so fun to see. Half the fun for me at the show was seeing her go nuts when she saw Toby Mac take the stage. She was screaming. She was singing. She was jumping up and down. She could feel the energy of all the people around her, and she was clapping and high-fiving people. It was so fun. It was one million times better being at the show than it was just listening to it at home. She got to cheer with him. She got to sing with him. She had so much fun, and we're going to get to go see him again in February, and, and I love the fact that I know I'm going to get to see that again. I'm going to get to be in the room as Avery and Aurora go crazy. But I think there's so much more that we get to experience when we are here in the room with like-minded people. When we are sharing in fellowship, sometimes, sometimes we let the, the comfort of an old habit, like uh, watching in our pajamas, or maybe it's a political preference or a, a political stance that people are going to make. Sometimes we let that override a, a godly conviction to get together. But when we do that, what we're really doing is we're robbing ourselves of this community that God's called us to be a part of. We're robbing ourselves of this amazing opportunity we have to celebrate and worship and have fun. So that's my challenge this year. I want to see us grow spiritually together. I want to see us serve one another. I want to see us carry each other when we feel down. I want to see us share in burdens. I want to see us share in excitement. I want to see us share in life. That's going to require all of us coming together. It's going to require being here in person, being here in small groups. So if you're online and, um, and health isn't the issue, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to see you here. For those of us, you guys that are here uh, today, for maybe for the first time in a while, keep on coming back. I love that you're here. I love it. I, this is an incredible group of people. It's an incredible church, and I want us to be the best God created us to be as a family, tackling this mission in life God's given us together. The second word I highlighted in this passage was the word image. And by, by and people, we, are, we can be consumed with our image, right? Our image in life. What are people seeing in our lives? If you want to get a good view of someone's perfect life, go to social media, right? People tend to highlight the best parts of their life. I know that there was a person I was following on social media, and I thought this person had it all together. Like, life is good. Pictures of the family, pictures of the kids. Life is good. And then they announced they were getting a divorce. And it was just like, wow, nowhere in this social media would you see this. But that's because that wasn't the image that they were letting out. They were showing the world a much different image. And there's a truth, a life-altering truth, I think, in Genesis 1.26. It's embedded in the phrase, our image. The Bible says God created us in his image. So what does this mean? We're made in the image of God. Grant, this, this can be uh, something that we can spend a lot of time trying to unpack and understand, but I want to explore a little bit today of what, what does this mean? When it says you were made in the image of God, who are you? You are God's image. Clearly, it does not mean that we physically look like God. One, we don't know exactly what God looks like. We, all we have is the, the manifestation of Jesus, and we don't all look like Jesus. Some of you have got the long beard. You're on your way. But how weird and crazy would it be if every single person, if said you were made in God's image, if we all looked exactly the same? That would be bizarre. That would be totally bizarre. We were not made physically to look like God. But there's a lot to say about us being made in God's image. So let's get a little specific with it. First, we'll talk about what are some characteristics of God that are unique to him? Things that he has that we do not get to have because he is God and we are not, and I'm so thankful that I am not God. One is omnipotence. Omnipotence means God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful and we are not. We don't have all the power, 
but he does. Luke 137 says this, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The simple but amazing truth is God can do anything, anytime, any place, for any reason. But I love that when he does these things, he does it with grace, he does it with truth, he does it with love, and he always does it right. He has no limits, and he uses that to do amazing things in us, through us, and with us. But he is all-powerful. We are not. Another one is omniscience. This fancy word means God is all-knowing. God knows everything. Growing up, I thought my dad was omniscient, right? A lot of us maybe thought our parents were omniscient because they, they had all the answers. But God is all-knowing. Psalm 147, verses 4 through 5, says this. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord, mighty, is, mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Despite of what I may think of myself at times, despite of what I tell the youth at Thursdays, I don't know everything. I like to put on a big game, um, something I told my daughter once. She said, do you know the answer to that? I said, oh, between, between me and my brothers, we know everything. And then she asked me a question, and I was like, ask my brother that one. And you got to ask him. But despite what we may think of ourselves, we don't know everything. But God does. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He knows the heart and thoughts of every man. Just because no man is around to see us do no wrong doesn't mean God didn't see it, right? He is all-knowing. Another thing is God is, he has omnipresence. I mean, he's everywhere all the time. Think of that. God is everywhere all the time. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I love that he can be everywhere, all times, no limits. We're restricted, right, to being in one place at one time. We, we, we have limits to our humanism, right? But God gets to be everywhere. Not just part of God, but the whole God gets to be everywhere, all the place. God is so, the Trinity is so closely related that it has no limits. Now, there are some characteristics and feelings and emotions that when God created animals, you know, they, they, they're quirky. Animals, you can say, oh, my dog's happy, my dog's sad. They get emotions. But the Bible doesn't say that the animals were created in God's image. It doesn't even say that creation, like the mountains and the water, was created in God's image. You know what was created in God's image? We were. So what sets us different? What makes us aside? There are characteristics that when we put them all together, only we get all of these because we were made in God's image. One is artistic creativity. Did you know that humans, mankind, the only creation that creates art? Other animals, they have jobs and they'll do things, but we are the only ones that create art, and we do it all the time. There's almost nowhere you go where, where you can't be surrounded by someone's art. Even, even buildings, as you drive down the street, that was someone's art. Someone orchestrated that. Someone designed it. Someone put it together. Um, my wife took me in San Francisco. I think we were dating at the time. We went to the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art. I don't get modern art. There was a white canvas on the wall, and people were staring at a white canvas. I was like, you can do that at home. That does not need to be in a museum. But people create art. We plant things around our properties. We, we dress in the current fashions, except for me. I know my wife's fashion game is on point. She worked at Nordstrom for over a decade. She cringes when I walk out of the house wearing what I do 90% of the time. I'm okay with this. But I know that art 
fashion, design, just the ability to create. That's something God gave us. Some of us can barely get out of bed before we turn on music, and seldom we go to bed without enjoying some kind of TV show or some kind of music something. Our cars, our offices, our, our homes, churches are decorated with, build, with, with pictures and creations of art. We create sanctuaries of art, art called museums. Now, people are you know, required to be quiet, dress appropriately, which is, again, why I don't fit into museums. But art seems to be sacred for the human species, something that God gave us the ability to do. And we see it everywhere. God gave us artistic creativity. God gave us spirituality. In John 4, 24, it says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We have a soul. We are capable of spiritually communicating with God, who is his spirit is all around us. We are the only creation that gets to do that because we were made in God's image. We were given morality. Romans 2, 14 to 16 says this, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Man, just, just like God, God is a source of all goodness, and he gave us a moral nature. He didn't, give us, uh, just, he didn't give us that desire to take people out. That comes from human sinful desire. But God gave us a desire to have a morality and a conscience. We can make moral choices. God gave us intellect. Similar to God, we, we are perceptive beings creating our ability that we have the ability to think, the ability to deduce, the ability to, to decide. How do we know when God speaks? God tells us in 2 Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He reveals to us that we communicate the thoughts. We communicate ideas the same way that he does as it describes in Proverbs 2.6. It says, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We get to communicate with God in an intellectual level. Not every creature gets to do that. We're created in God's image with relationships. God created the first man, Adam, placed him in paradise. God allowed Adam to communicate with him directly. God created him to be in a relationship. Despite this, it says Adam was still alone. So in Genesis 2, God gave him a partner to, to suit this desire. He gave him Eve. And then we get marriage, friendship, family, because God created community. God created relationship. God gave us emotions. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Like God, we are creative. We are emotional. If you're like me, you're overly emotional. But we have the ability to communicate how we feel, not just through, through actions, but through words, through relationships, through this desire to be together. God gave us the ability to make choices. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. We all get to make decisions. We all make decisions knowing there's going to be consequences. We get to choose. I love that. We get to choose. We get to, we get to choose. This is right. This is wrong. What are we going to do? We know that our actions have consequences. There's a cause. There's an effect. God gave us this because it's a part of his image. He chose to make us. He chooses to love us, and we get to love him because he first loved us. We get to choose into this. 
God gives us the ability to make choices. He knows right and wrong. He knows the cause. He knows the effect. It's a part of his image that he gave to mankind, but not all of his creation, specifically to us because we were made in his image. We are the only part of creation that has all of these stamps on us. Animals may have some, like I know that my dog has emotions. If she pees in the house and I come down on her, I, her tail goes down and she gets sad, I know that she's sad. She's upset. I know she has emotions, but we are the only creatures that have all of these things because God didn't just speak us into life. He formed us. He made us in his image, and that is so much more than what the world will tell you you are. The world can tell you you're a byproduct of, of this person and that person. You're supposed to go do this, but when we look and know that we have the image of God implanted, unprinted on our very heart, that lets us know we are made for so much more. We're made for so much more and so much greater than what the world could ever say to us. God lovingly created us in his image to display the glory and the enjoyment of him. But there are implications to this truth. There are implications to this. Because we were made in his image, that means there's some responsibility. It means that we are accountable to him. Because we're made in his image, he holds us accountable. We answer to God. But it also means that because we're made in his image, we can trust him. We can totally trust him because he is honest and loving and he is trustworthy. Because we're made in his image, it means that each person has value. There is not one person he's ever created that is not valued and loved by him. Because we're made in his image, we have a God-centered purpose. And also, because we're made in his image, he intends for us to find our greatest satisfaction in him. We can't find our greatest satisfaction without him. We find it all in him. And the last word in Genesis 1.26, the last highlighted word was dominion. Dominion. God desired, designed us to rule over his creation. Now, I want to understand, us understand dominion is not domination. Dominion is not domination. We are not called to dominate creation. We're not called to dominate. We were called to steward it. We were called to foster it. We were called to improve what God has given us. We are stewards. We're not end users, right? God designed us, the human being, the human beings, men and women, at the pinnacle of his creation. This was, God created everything, and then he put men and women here, and he said, it's your job to have dominion over this. It's not really we protect what God made. It means that we're going to continue to create. We're going to continue to use that creativity. We're going to take care of what God gave us, implementing this in community, all these characteristics. Now, here's an incredible thought, right? Um, a couple weeks ago, when we said Genesis 1-1, we summed it up by saying, God made the stuff. Right, if you want to summarize Genesis 1-1, God made heavens and earth, say, all right, God made the stuff. Now, God charged us to make a world out of the stuff. He charged us to be responsible with it. He charged us to do something with it. He put this world under our disposal, under our care. And it's our divine responsibility to make a world out of this and to love the things that we create because he loves our creation, his creation, which is us. To love the people we encounter. We have cities, we have music, we have art. I mean, we talked a couple weeks ago about when we create something, we love it because our fingerprints are on it, right? God gave us that ability to do it with his stuff. Steward my stuff, create. Create a world that becomes a reflection of God's goodness all around. Now, obviously, we've, we fall into sin and we mess up, but I love that the story doesn't end there. But can you imagine a world where we, as Christ followers, we put our efforts into what everything, everything that we're going to do, the things that we go out and do, the things that we create, the conversations we have, we say, you know what, God? Because you gave me this ability to steward, you gave me this world to steward, you gave me gifts to steward, the decisions I make, the actions I make, the things I create, the conversations I have, they're going to point people to you. 
What would it look like if we, as, as Christ followers, we all came together for that banner and said, this is what we're going to do with our lives. We are going to point people to God. Even we, th- we look at the evil around us, and we use that as an opportunity to shine God's goodness everywhere we go. We use that to shine God's light. We shine that to show a, a pure love to a community that may be reeling from the effects of the evil, or, uh, the, the effects of the brokenness. We say, you know what? I'm not going to let that get me down today. I'm going to show the love of God instead. If that became our banner that we came, I think it's, it's our responsibility as, as people to, to curb the natural appetite maybe for revenge, to say, I'm not going to get back. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get even. I'm going to go forward with God as my banner, with love as my banner, and say, I'm going to reach people for Jesus first and foremost. What if we looked at it as our job? We said, you know what? In this world, as Christ followers, it is our job, because we were made in God's image, it's our job to reduce racism. It's our job to find someone who maybe feels like they're marginalized on the outside and no one loves me. It's our job to take the step and say, I'm going to go love that person. It's our job to say, there's someone that was rejected, and you know what? I'm not going to reject them because God sure doesn't reject them. I'm going to go bring them in, and I'm going to show them love. What if we made that our step? We said, I'm going to go do it. We didn't look at the world as, as a place to say, avoid, avoid. We looked at the world and said, that's a place to reach, reach, reach shift our mindset to showing love of God everywhere we go. We get the responsibility of taking those steps and showing the love of Jesus where we go. I know that um, Adam announced that we're going to go to Mexico this year, and I love that when I, I've gone to Mexico missions trip a number of years, um, starting when I was at the at Creekside in California, and I remember going for the first time and, and thinking, all right, I haven't been before. What's this really going to do? And I feel like I got blessed more than I did blessed people there. I saw God working through amazing ways. As we were playing, I, I don't build the house. Make no mistake, I can't swing a hammer very well. Last time I swung a hammer, I lost my thumbnail. It was bad news. But I do get to do soccer with the kids, and I do VBS stuff with kids, and I do get to, uh, I got to uh, speak at the church down there a couple times. And the amount of people that we've got to share the love of Jesus with who said they had no idea who Jesus was before was so fun. And let me tell you, there were people down there who they started coming to church. And over the course of the years, now they are volunteers in the church. And as I got to know them, I was blown away by some of their backstories. These were people who were in the United States who committed vicious, horrible felony acts of crime and got deported. Some people said they were in prison for murder. But you know what they're doing now because someone showed them the love of Jesus? They are leading churches. That's amazing to me. That's, that's looking at someone and saying, that's not looking at someone saying, your past has now marginalized you and you're out. That's the ability to say God's love can reach even the people that you thought were unreachable, that we thought were unreachable. And we've seen people give their lives there. There was one family who we built a house for, and they didn't know God. They, never, they didn't go to church, but we built a house for them anyways. We got to visit this family every year for about five years. When we were down in Mexico, we'd go and make sure we spent a, a day or two on that street just having food and fellowship with this family. One day we decided, all right, we're going to invite these people back to the base. That's what we called the place we were staying at. And uh, we're going to have a big worship night. We're going we're to have a bunch of tacos. Let me tell you, the tacos in Mexico, oh, bomb. But we're going to have tacos, and we're going to have a big fiesta, and we're going to play worship music. We're going to have people sharing testimonies. This woman who we ministered to for five years came to Christ that night, and it was the most amazing celebration we got to have when she gave her life to Christ. And she, she, had a, she has a husband who was a felon, who got evicted and, and, and deported from the United States. But he came to know Christ. And now on their street, they're bringing people to their church. And it is so cool to see someone get reached because a group of people decide to say, you know what, I'm not going to let this person's past define them. I'm just going to show them love. 
Just going to show them the love of Jesus. Church, we have an opportunity to make a difference because we get to look at who we are in God. What did God create us? Who am I? We are community. We are loved. We are created in the image of God, and we have an incredible job and responsibility to do. I'd like to invite the worship team back up here this morning. The question for all of us is, what difference are we going to make today? Knowing who we are, knowing what God has called us to do, what are we going to do? Remember that even in the most mundane circumstances, the the day-to-day grind of life, remember that you are the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Know that we don't get to, to sit back and watch on the sidelines. We get a front row seat to participate in everything going on. This year... When there's things coming on, when there's things going on in church, whether it's a small group meeting, a Sunday gathering, um, a members meeting, uh, there's events coming on where I know this year I'm talking with the schools. I'm going to try and organize maybe days where we can go volunteer and work and help clean up and do stuff at schools. Clear your calendars. Let's go do stuff as the church. Let's be the image of God, not just here. Let's be it out there. Let's go share God with our community. At work, maybe, write a note of encouragement to a colleague If you see some, like I said, or you don't see someone here that you know you normally see, shoot them a text, give them a call, say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Hope you're healthy. Hope you're all right. Be the image of God. Be who God called you to be to your friends, family, and neighborhood. At home, maybe schedule um, one more family meal than than you normally do. At home, at dinner, we do a thing called sad, mad, and glad. We uh, were introduced to this by uh, Pastor Chris. So what's something made you sad? What made you mad? What made you glad? And uh, it's always fun talking about what made you glad today? I got to be at church today. I got to see my friends today. I got to see my family today. I got to talk to someone today that I normally don't get to talk to. I got to spread the love of Jesus to someone new. Remember, you are God. You are most like God even in the mundane of life. You are still in his image. Would you stand with me? Now, today as we close... Um, we talked about reaching out and calling people and letting them know you're thinking of them. There was, I did receive some heartbreaking news uh, this past week. Um, some of you may know, they've been here for many, many years, Stan and Janet Waldriff. Um, they would usually sit in the back. Janet had big, big hair, and Stan was all, he would wear the award for best dressed on Sundays normally. So two of the most encouraging people in the world. Loved everybody, just great people. Um, they went to be with Jesus this last week. Um, they both went through a, short but hard battle with COVID. Um, Janet passed away Wednesday night, and then Stan passed away Thursday morning. Um, the hospital, I heard, when, um, when it was getting to the point where they knew that they were going to go, actually let them be in the same room together. But um, if you know Stan and Janet's family, I'll have more information soon on what's going on. I'm going to communicate with the family this week. But um, pray for the family as they navigate through this time. It was sudden. It was hard. And I know that uh, it's always hard processing the loss, the loss of a loved one. There's lots of questions that can come, but we do get to celebrate the life of two fun people, two encouraging people, two people that love Jesus. And I know that where they are right now, they're COVID-free, and they are dancing and celebrating with Jesus. And that's something that in the midst of, of the pain of losing someone you love, we do get to celebrate that, that they are healed and they are happy. Amen? Let's pray today. God, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for who you made us to be. God, we were made in your image. We were made in your likeness, God. We were made for community. I pray that this year, God, we rally together stronger than ever as a church, a church that, that no one can say isn't doing amazing things to impact your kingdom, God, that we, we go out beyond these walls. 
we go share your love with people, God. We, we gather on Sundays. We gather in small groups. We do life with each other because you called us to be so much more than me. You called us to be we. God, I pray that we get strong, that we grow deeper, that we are your image, God, and that we hold your banner high as we go out into the world. God, be with the Waldrop family right now as they navigate the shocking loss of Stan and Janet. Comfort them in a way that, that only you can comfort, God. Philippians talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray that that peace pours upon that family right now. God, I pray that as they reach out, you use this church to be an incredible blessing to that family, to let them know how much they are loved. So God, be with us, be with the Waldrops, be with the world, be with people that are sick today. Put your healing hands on them and allow us to, to, to grow and thrive and strive to be a better community for you. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said... Amen.